0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us afresh today by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today, there are at least two widespread fears that are gripping our nation and much of the world. First, there is the fear surrounding the pandemic, fear of becoming gravely ill, fear of losing a job, fear of economic catastrophe, fear about our kids schooling Alongside those fears, some imagined and some already realized, there is also the frustration felt by many that this has become so politicized. Something seemingly unpolitical, like wearing a face mask, has, is causing so much division in our nation. I think many accept the mandate to be public health wisdom and basic human decency toward others. Others view it as an assault on human rights and free choice. We've seen cases of scapegoating, suing, spitting, stabbing, and shooting over wearing face coverings. It's enough to make anyone feel frustrated or fearful. And second, there is the fear of what is happening across our nation concerning the ongoing deep racial tensions. These are not just going to blow over. And so we feel afraid of what to say for fear of saying the wrong thing or of causing offense. We we so easily become paralyzed for fear of doing the wrong thing. How are we meant to understand these deep, profound divisions at this time? I know what I often want to do. I want to silence and stop all the crazy people who disagree with me. After all, I'm a reasonable fellow. And then along comes Jesus and says, hey, Jonathan, how about you take the speck out of your own eye, the log out of your own eye, before you take the speck out of your brother's? And you know, my knee-jerk reaction is to argue about who's got the speck and who's got the log. And obviously it's not me who's got the log. And then along comes Jesus again with another story that we heard read just a moment ago. This story about wheat and weeds. And I want to pull out the weeds. I want the church to be a fruitful wheat field, a source of hope and reason. Not a divided, quarrelsome embarrassment as sometimes it has become. I can identify with the disciples whose reaction in the face of evil was, we must get rid of the weeds. But Jesus says not so fast. God's sovereign rule over his world is not quite as straightforward as we might like or imagine. This parable is not a mandate for rooting out all evil. Rather, in large part, it's about being patient and humble, even in the face of evil. And this is hard for us. We don't like it. Indeed, the rallying cry today is, stand up, be counted, say something, do something, be silent no longer. In the face of all manner, of injustices and wrongs and prejudices and outright evil, the Bible, as always, is prescient, provocative, and powerful. In this parable, Jesus has some very strong and sobering things to say to us today. For this is, in part at least, a parable about justice and about judgment. But first comes a season of waiting, and watching, and hoping, and longing with humility. So let's take a look at this story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. And the field, Jesus later explains, is the world. The world in which good seed has been sown. A world that was created by God and was good. But in this world... An enemy has come, intent upon sabotaging all that is good. Verse 25, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And in this story, the enemy doesn't sow the weeds in the neighboring field, but right back in the middle of Of the field where the wheat is commingled. We may think that the major work of our enemy the devil is concentrated somehow in the world out there and yet here Jesus describes the evil one sowing his evil in the middle of the good seeds. Good and evil are mixed together. But what to do about it? The workers want to take swift action. Verse 28 then Do you want us to go and gather them? Shall we rip out those weeds? And the reply is no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. This is why we have to be so very careful in how we respond to evil. The truth is there is a very real serious and dangerous war raging all around us. And I'm not talking about the culture wars of the 1990s or the cancel culture cries of today. No, it's the real and continuing war between good and evil. There are some things, however, that we can say about this war. First, and most importantly, we know how it will end. We know who wins. Truth and justice, righteousness and goodness will utterly defeat and eradicate the world of evil. God wins. Amen? This is not fake news. This is not a hoax. This is not my truth. The truth for all time and for all people is that God has already won the victory. The victory over sin and death and hell. And that victory is one that is decisive and has been won once and for all through Christ's death on the cross and through his glorious resurrection. The end is certain. There is no doubt about that ending. And yet, the end has not yet come. And so we continue to wait for Christ's coming again and for his final glory to be revealed. And while we wait The enemy carries on fighting his rearguard action, sowing weeds, stirring up all kinds of hatred and dissension and hopelessness that can cause people, even nice people, respectable people, to speak and do all sorts of terrible harm to others. And as we look at the world, as we ponder human tragedy, or as we stop and consider the church, whether locally or nationally, And as we look at our own lives, as we look in the mirror, we see contradictions. We experience pain, struggles, and disappointments. And we we just so long to put everything right. If only we could get rid of all the evil. If only we could get rid of the people that are leading others astray. The people that are tearing the world and the church apart. But you know that's not our job. Jesus is clear. Yes, there will be a final weeding out, but not yet. That said, this parable should not be taken as meaning that we can somehow be complacent. We know from many places in the scriptures that we're to do all that we can to resist evil, whether that's in the world or in the church or in our own lives. And today's parable reminds us That this church family, our church family, Church of the Ascension, sadly will continue to be a messy place. A field in which there will be wheat and there will be weeds. You know, when folks are, are joining our church, I often remind them, we are not the perfect church. There's no such thing. Moreover, should they ever find a perfect church, I tell them, they better not join it because they'll spoil it. Now, having said that, it is our delight to be welcoming Emily. You might hear her, noises off in the side. Lovely to hear you, Emily. Uh, And and, uh, Dorothy and Piper, welcoming them into the church today. And later in our service, we'll have the joy of baptizing these infants. We want them and we're going to pray for them to grow up and be nurtured in the faith by their parents and by their godparents and by many of us, members of their extended church family. And our task is to love them, to come alongside them, to encourage them through every stage of their life and growth in God's field. And we have to recognize that life in the church and life in the world is often not as black and white as we might like it to be, or as others, others may suggest that it is. The kingdom of God has been brought about by Jesus, and yet here we are living in this in-between stage of growth, with the wheat and the weeds growing alongside. And so our task is not to focus on the weeds. We can ultimately lead them to Jesus. Jesus the just judge. Instead, let us focus on growing strong, healthy wheat. Let us keep on sowing the good seed of God's saving love everywhere that we can. But before I say more about the hope that we have, I must say something about the very sobering warning that Jesus has for us in this story. Jesus spells out the destiny of those who rebel against God. God will not be mocked. And ultimately, there will be divine judgment. And this is made plain in very graphic terms with the picture of a furnace of fire and of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And while this picture may not necessarily have to be taken literally, it must be taken seriously. God is a just and righteous God. And that's not incompatible with him also being a loving God. Indeed, because he is loving, because he is righteous, because he is holy, he cannot and will not tolerate evil. And so the awful reality of judgment stares us in the face from this parable today. Now, Jesus, we should stress, is not telling us these things so that we who are in the church can somehow gloat over the fate of the outsiders. Rather, he's giving a warning to those who consider themselves to be the insiders. It's a rather sobering to see in verse 41 where Jesus is explaining the parable that he refers to the angels collecting all causes of sin and evildoers out of his kingdom. For us who are part of God's kingdom. Let us heed the warning not to allow ourselves to be choked up by the weeds and by the evil that is all around, but let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who sows the good seed. We can have hope. We can be encouraged in the knowledge that despite the evil and suffering that is still present in our world, despite our fears and our uncertainties, the kingdom of God is at work, sometimes secretly and silently and sometimes unseen, sometimes much more visibly. And ultimately, the kingdom of God wins, for God reigns. St. Paul, in our epistle reading today, writes, I consider that the present sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Pain and suffering and death are part of our daily lives. But the groans that we make as we struggle with evil need not be groans of despair, but of hope. Though we groan with discomfort and longing, the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us joy. And the coming glory gives us hope, even as now we may experience pain. We will not be free from pain until we go to be with God, or until he comes again. And so our groans should express both something of our present longing, our present pain, and and all that we're longing for in the future. But you know, and I think it's fair to say sometimes... Christians don't groan enough. They seem to have no place in their theology for pain. Well, that's crazy. Of course, the opposite's also true. Some folks are experts at groaning, and the kind of groaning they excel at has no sense of longing for the future, but just a miserable wallowing in their past or present woes, real or perceived. What we should be doing, says Paul, is waiting eagerly for what lies ahead for the final fulfillment of God's promises. John Stott writes this, we are to wait neither so eagerly that we lose patience, nor so patiently that we lose our expectation, but eagerly and patiently together. And as we wait, we press on towards the goal, putting our energy into being healthy wheat, cultivating God's field, preparing for the harvest, bearing much good fruit. And so no matter how frustrated you may be with all the weeds, don't despair, don't give up. Good will triumph over evil. As St. Paul reminds us elsewhere, God, by the power at work in us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Thanks be to God. Amen.